Attorney Francis Estepona is a person motivated by a desire for service. Not just any service, but service in the halls of government, in the offices that seldom cross the minds of the general public. In today's episode, we'll talk about her time serving in the Human Rights Victims Claims Board, which granted compensation to victims of martial law on the strength of a dispassionate point system. We will also talk about her time in the COMELEC, where we'll talk about the work of a commissioner and what it means to be a COMELEC commissioner. And lastly, we'll talk about her job with the Commission on Human Rights, where she works on the treatment of persons deprived of liberty. Frances is a quiet soul who serves with passion. I do hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hey, Frances, welcome to my podcast. <laughs> Hi, Gabby. Thanks for having me here. Okay. Uh, if, if you, for the benefit of the listeners, do you mind introducing yourself? Um, hello, my name is Frances Estipona, and I usually introduce myself as um, a lawyer, a public servant, and an advocate of human rights, democracy, and good governance. Can you tell us about some of the positions you've held? And that should give the listeners some insight into why I decided to invite you on this episode. Alam ba ito, mag-start ba tayo from the very start? Okay. So, sige. Um, like what I said nga, Rami, no? I, I characterize my career path ever since. I look back at it. It's always been about uh, service. So, I started uh, public service um, back in 2007 when I ran for public office at Sangguniyan Kabataan Kagawan in 2007. And then... I finished it in 2010. I was in college then, no. Tapos when I got into law school, uh, I joined organizations like the Ateneo Human Rights Center. Um, I oh nga, sorry, I forgot. Can we do that again? Kalimutan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I started in 2007 when I ran for uh, public office as a sangguniang. Kabataan Kagawad. Uh, fortunately, I got elected and served until 2010. In between, because I transferred uh, colleges eh, from Ateneda Manila to Ateneda Naga. So in between, uh, when I graduated from college, I joined this organization, a non-profit organization uh, by the district, uh, Simbahang Lingkod ng Bayan. Um, after that, I went into law school, and while I was in law school, I joined uh, the Ateneo Human Rights Center. And after graduating law school, I uh, was recruited in the Human Rights Victims Claims Board. Um, I worked there for four months towards the uh, end of the office, and then. Um, After I passed the bar, my first job was as a legal and technical staff at the office of Commissioner Office of Commissioner Louis Guia at the Commission on Election. And when his term ended in 2020, um, I then transferred to the Commission on Human Rights, where I am currently working now. So mm. So if if I can if I can if I can state the pattern that your career seems mm. to uh, draw out, it's very human rights centered uh, service in that uh, you know you're really all about the institutions of governance. Uh, but and so you know it's, this is a really ripe time to talk about it because we're picking like we're the Philippines is collectively in this process of picking one of our future leaders. 
and one of our future leaders uh, has his one of our potential future leaders has his past uh, heavily intertwined with one of the institutions that you work for. So the Human Rights uh, Victims uh, Claims Board. Uh, can you tell us what that now defunct institution was tasked to do and what it was like to work there? Um, so the Human Rights Victims Claims Board was an agency created in 2013 by virtue of a law, Republic Act 1368. It was mandated to uh, receive, evaluate, process, and investigate operation claims made by victims of human rights violations uh, during the uh, martial law years, during the term of the late dictator Marcos. So um, what I did there, I was a legal editor. So I was employed towards the end of the office, uh, uh, to fast track yung claims that were filed before the board. Because there were thousands, no? Parang more 75,000 plus yung claims before the board then and we were trying to we were rushing then to uh, get it all out or at least resolve uh, a lot of it during that period of time so madami kami legal editor hinari uh, kami for the purpose of that um, uh, so there mm. so can you like walk us through the process? So if say for example you were a martial law victim and you wanted to bring the a claim in in that in that now defunct office, what what did you do? You you went to uh, uh like this, what was the form like? Did you check a box that said like oh I was a uh, uh, military and the name of the person? Ganon? Is that is that what it would be like? Uh, if you're a claimant, uh, form. So first, kasi um, paano ba? You can file a claim. You can only file a claim before the board. So pumunta ka sa UP kasi yung venue noon ng yung office noon ng HRBC was in UP. So no matter where you are in the Philippines, you will travel to UP to file the claim. There is a form, there is a claims application form. I I di ko na maalala, eh, konti na lang. But there are I definitely remember there are boxes if you are uh, the HRV himself or herself or ano kanan next of kin. Kasi matagal na yung ano eh, matagal na yung martial lawyers eh. and we have victims na uh, either uh, died because of the human rights violation or namatay before this came about, no? So so yun may check don kung ikaw ba yung ano or or next of kin. Tapos merong Merong other requirements that should be attached to the form, like dapat may sworn statement, so meron kang affidavit, tapos um, the filer, the claimant should identify himself or herself. So if it's if he or she is the claimant, parang ganon must submit siya ng NSO birth certificate, ganyan. Or kung next of kin, parang proof of affiliation, so andame just to identify you first. And then to make the claim na a human rights violation is committed against you, madami ding documents na kailangan mo i-attach. Uh, like, meron uh, ka bang court records? Meron ka bang lawyer's records at the time? Do you have photographs? Or meron pa yan, mga affidavits of to disinterested persons that this happened to you? So so it's a lot. It's a, a daming 
documents na naka-attach and filing a claim. So it's not just a form parang ganun. But the form makes it easier for the board to uh, classify you into ano ba to, paano natin to i-assess. It's one of those things that you as a lawyer like tend to forget like me as because I'm out in the world and I'm practicing and I, I interact with my clients. And that's the thing like I constantly have to remind myself like for me it's automatic you know like all of these forms yeah. okay like if I have, I have a checklist it's like I, and I'm a notary pa and I, I collaborate with notaries okay I get this sworn document it's so easy for yeah. me but then like if you're a if you're a lay person and you don't have the the knowledge of what oh, what is an affidavit of two disinterested persons it's yes like, oh. <laughs> it, it can, oh, cause, oh. It can really cause people to freeze you know yeah go ahead though oh, oh. um I think yeah, meron eh. Meron, may, there were claimants na ilang beses nagpapabalik-balik. Kasi yung kulang yung documents. They would check things sa, ano, sa form. And then they would be given a checklist na mga pwede nilang i, i, ano, i, i-attach to it. And they go back to submit the other attachments. Parang ganun. So, medyo hirap siya, I think, on them. I think for... Based on my observation, ah, uh, medyo grueling yung process because ang daming kailangan na uh, forms. Filing is free for this, ah. Uh, filing of the claim is free. It's, it's, wala siyang ano. Pero the, the, I think you have to sell out certain amounts to get the record or to have notarized affidavits, ganyan, to have NSO issued a death certificate or birth certificate or whatever. Parang so it's a, hindi masya, it's a little bit of a burden on the part of the claimant. And I think nakakapago din po balik-balik na yun. Oh, it's, it's really unfortunate no, that like, uh, you know, like it's only when I was out in the world and because uh, mm-hmm. I think when we, you and I entered law school, it was uh, attorney Toto Villarreal. He he told us a story. I think he read it from start to finish. No, I can't remember. It was it was that 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 parable of the law, and essentially a person is stuck before a door that he does not know is meant for him, and nobody tells him because he's not aware of the law. And only now, like I I swear, Francis. Like sometimes I see uh like so sometimes like uh like I, I interpreted a contract for a, for, a, for a client once. And like a, in conjunction with a bunch of other documents, I say this contract and these documents together, uh, these mean that the price that you paid for your house, it's basically times two, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? The, or the the price you thought you'd be paying for your house is times two. And like it, it, it's it, there's sometimes there's this wall that all these documents throw up around these very important essential facts that uh, essentially like you can't you, you can't help but think like what is the use of the law if it creates so many barriers? Uh, yeah. Oh, but on that point, uh, since uh, we're talking about the Human Rights Victims Claims Board, and I think this is something that I really do have to ask, uh, Bongbong Marcos is the son of the former dictator. And uh, what is your feeling, right, about the very strong public sentiment in favor of this candidate, notwithstanding the fact that we have a law that acknowledges the atrocities of his father? Mm-hmm. Mm. Um. I'm both uh, sad and disappointed. Sad because I really saw I really saw the new era of the claimants just to prove their 
na human rights were violated at the time. And I, I saw documents yeah, and all that. And I, I'm, I'm sad for the claimants and other human rights uh, victims of the martial law regime. Because I empathize with them. Um, parang hirap, no? Parang, um, very strong public sentiment favoring Amarcos. When tapos kami, na-recognize nga kami, but now you're, you're supporting supporting this family. So so I feel sad for them. Disappointed and well, a little bit frustrated kasi parang hindi na tayo natuto. No? All the information about the Marcoses, uh, legitimate peer-reviewed uh, journals, reports, data, what have you, are already accessible in this day and age. Like, you can Google it. You can Google Marcos. Uh, sobrang daming lalabas. The peer-reviewed, uh, legitimate studies, not just here in the Philippines, but made by uh, other countries, by other, diba? on, on us. So, and yet, ganito, ganito pa rin. So, so, so yun, nakakalungkot, nakaka-disappoint. For me, parang, it's a big why. <laughs> why? Yeah. So, uh, that's that's actually something that, uh, like, that I'm always very uh, surprised, because that's what people always ask me. Right, as a lawyer, like, what's your opinion of the Marcoses? Or like, you know, just because you're a lawyer, people generally give your insight into political matters more weight, even though we're not by trade politicians, no. But somehow uh, we might have a deeper insight. And the thing that I always say is that, you know, like, I'm just as stumped as you are, you know. <laughs> like, I I don't know why things are the way it is. But if I could ask you, right, like now uh, a lot, you you come from the perspective of government, government, and that you know your your career is centers around service in the government. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think should the state do, right, or what is its duty with regard these alternative facts propounded by the Marcuses and the persons in their camp? Like, is it is it is it right just to leave it at a opinion nilayon? Akin, ano eh, tinitignan ko siya as short term tsaka long term. Short term, to put the record straight. Every time I claim against or denial ng mga facts surrounding the events of that era, mayroon namang ano eh, may, rep- may reported events. We have, <coughs> we have uh, Supreme Court cases. We have Philippine Supreme Court cases. <laughs> We have history books, diba? on on everything that happened at the time. No? It, for me, my obligation yung state to immediately and categorically uh, set the record state. Say no, those aren't true. Uh, no, those aren't supported uh, by any data or records or 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 facts, diba? mm. long term is under the same under the same law creating yung human rights victims claims board. May provision doon saying uh, creating another um, commission, human rights uh, victim <laughs> memorial uh, commission, and under that the state, the commission um, is obliged to coordinate and collaborate with uh, executive agencies like DepEd and SHED to ensure na ituturo yung martial law atrocities um, and what happened to human rights 
violations victims, ganyan. Uh, essentially, what the claims board has. Itutuloy yung lahat. And what, whatever we have, uh, the facts during the martial law, dapat ituro. Kasi I, I think yun, yun kulang eh. Kasi ako from personal experience, no? Um, I never heard about the atrocities of martial law, the violations, um, until I was in college na. Mm. High school, wala. Parang enumeration lang ng president, what they've done, what they've done good for the country. And I all only knew about it when I went into college. I was so topic. <laughs> so, di ba? So, so, parang ayun. Dapat may short-term game ka, may long-term game ka. No, ito, ito yung facts. Now, we, we contest those. Kasi, even the Constitution, di, di ba? That's why, that's why the Constitution is built, is written like that, di ba? Uh, yeah, like there, there are specific provisions that make the recovery of the ill-gotten wealth imprescriptible, and uh, yeah. you know, there, there's all this acknowledgement of the the, the wrongness. Guaranteed uh, human rights and all that, de ba? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but if I if I could just share like one 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 short mm-hmm. anecdote from my high school years, I really remember like I really remember this very vividly because I had this high school teacher mm-hmm. and I won't say her name because I don't want to embarrass her. But uh, You know, like we we were talking about Philippine history, and we were talking about the period that corresponded to martial law. And I really remember that uh, you know things got somber for a moment. And uh, it was at the part where we were talking about Ferdinand Marcos and how he reigned over the country for 22 years. And she gave the lines about like, oh, you know, like <laughs> uh, people say that he was a bad guy, but actually he was the best. And <laughs> and then like as a child who doesn't know any better. Like it felt empowering in a weird way that there was this interpretation of reality that uh, my teacher was breaking ranks with you know the rest of the academe to impart to me, <laughs> and that it was important that I know because this was the truth, right? It was so I remember this was like I was like 13, uh, and I remember feeling that way, and then of only of course later. When I went through that, I, I, did I realize how incredibly irresponsible it was for my teacher to have said those things, right? Yeah. I, I, I don't think if I <laughs> if I didn't go through uh, Ateneo specifically, and then and then law school after, I don't think I would have had the anti-Marcos opinion that I do now, right? And yeah. you know, I, I, it, it feels strange that to see the survey results and understand that uh, martial law is bad. It's now a minority opinion, you know. Nezo, oh, I agree. About everything from that period is all right now up to us. Pwede na interpret. Oh, <laughs> if I can, if I can ask one thing though, let let to try to concretize that experience in the human 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 rights victims claims for to the extent that you can share, no. Uh, what what are some stories that that come back to you from the time that stick with you through this through these years i think it's a major nag solidify no track ko after law school in pursuing government parang i when i passed the bar we were allowed to review mga claims on appeal because claims that were denied were ano were appealable to the to the board and that 
So, nag-review kami ng mga at least at least at least. Tapos meron akong isang nakita na I think merited uh, a point. Kasi sa, sa claims board, uh, ay kanya-kanyang points per, per violation. And a point corresponds to a certain amount. Ganyan. So, tingin ko, itong nire-review ko na, uy, uh, bakit hindi ito, bakit ito na-deny with, uh, with all the documents? So, I approached my uh, my principal then, si, si Dokao. Dokao is a board member um, of HRBCB. Sabi ko, ma'am, um, I think, ano, we can we can argue this before the other board members. So, sabi niya, okay, sige, um, cast an argument, tapos i-present po. So, schedule ng ano, ganyan, ganyan, ganyan. Tapos, uh, I presented it before the rest of the board members, and fortunately, ginanti <laughs> yung one point. And, and, that, medyo nag-stick yun to me. Sa akin, to me. Kasi, parang, parang, tingin ko kasi dapat, mas, mas tinitignan ng mas mabuti yung mga ganitong klaseng frames. Para, if I weren't in, in there and I weren't in that position, parang, what would have happened to the claimant? I think, yung claimant na yun, the one claiming for uh, him or her was, next of kin eh, kasi namatay na eh. So, ayun, I, I felt proud then, kasi parang I, I was able to to help, and I was able to contribute to uh, recognizing more than the amount, kasi more than the point and the amount, the reparations will get for being awarded the point. No? Mas, mas mabigat for me is yung recognition niya na oy human recognize that I am a human rights were violated during that time. And right na he or she passed away, masasama sa dun sa role of human rights violation system. Na ma-memorialize forever. Hopefully. Hopefully. Unless Marcos becomes president and then strikes the record clean, no? Uh, no, that, that reminds me, and this is this is a funny anecdote that I'll share. So one of our contemporaries in law school uh, had the good fortune of uh, working in a very high up court in the Philippines. So the reason why I'm being very vague will become very apparent very quickly. Uh, so this contemporary of ours in law school was known to partake of illicit substances occasionally, right? And he had the good fortune. <laughs> yeah. He had he had the good fortune of handling a case record uh, in this high up court over a conviction for uh, the Dangerous Drugs Act, right? For a drug that he had himself partaken of previously, uh, and he looked over the records, and a lot of the evidence pointed towards a fabricated conviction, as often occurs, or not often occurs, but can occur in a buy-bust operation, right? And I, I, I had that he, he brought up the anecdote to me, and he said he was very conflicted about his feelings over this conviction, and he brought it up to his principal and said, it's like, uh, 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 Justice, <laughs> do you mind if I uh, draft an opinion of acquittal? 
I really believe that this person was wrongly convicted. And so he was able to, uh, you know, convince his principal to decide in favor of an acquittal. And the reason, the reason why I tell this really funny story, <laughs> which probably has nowhere near the gravity of the story that you have, uh, it's really because, uh, you know, this, this process, this, this justice system that we have is very fragile. And, you know, it takes the intercession of good <laughs> lawyers, uh, albeit self-serving in some instances, such as in the story I just told, uh, <laughs> uh, to make, make the system work, you know? And so it's, it's good that you shared that so people can understand that uh, this gift of democracy is very, very fragile, <laughs> let's say, okay? Uh, but now let's, let's move on a little bit. Uh, because I noticed, no, like the pattern of your life has really been punctuated by service at multiple levels. Uh, so you started out with SK. Uh, you uh, then you went to the Ateneo Human Rights Center, and then of course the HRVCB. The, then of course into the government positions that you held and now hold. Uh, so how did these opportunities for service, you know, especially with the fact that they started so young with you uh, shape your career going forward parang lagi ko sinasabi every stage every uh, stage of my career that i went through sk slb ahrc all of these no parang meron silang maliliit eh, na contributions to uh, to how i arrived at my decision on my career path and also sa skills ko, skills ko, and then my skills are very um, NGO-like, policy, strong policy, ganyan, and advocacy. So, so ayun, pag tinignan mo, parang logical naman to go down the path I went, diba? And, um, Pero hindi ko kasi siya ma-explain eh, ng, na parang, yung, actually yung SK, I started out, uh, because I was in church, I was very active in the community. And then I just saw this opportunity to um, serve at a bigger level. That's why I, I went and, ano, and ran. <laughs> and then when I was there, oh, nag enjoy naman ako serve, serving, parang ganun. Tapos, as I went on through life, parang I was led to this path na, uy, I can do service um, in another form here, advocacy. Ganyan, dito naman, advocacy and, and elections. You know? Uy, I can uh, do alternative work naman here, parang ganyan, which are forms of service and ultimately added on to my, to my skills, parang ganyan. So parang logical naman siya, na to go down the path. And ter- parang merong inside of me eh, na sinasabi, no, uh, you really like to do this. This is how you're built. This so, is parang, this is you. Hindi <laughs> ko ma-explain eh. It is very, ano eh, parang so, uh, uh-huh. drawn ako to it eh. Parang yan. So you you mentioned very quickly, and of course there was an, you expounded afterwards. 
But you mentioned that your skills were geared towards this kind of NGO and then government institution type work. So uh, maybe what what are those skills? Maybe if other people listen uh, here and listen to this and they they see they might have those skills, they might consider a path similar to the one you took. So what are those skills? So I think I started just say handling uh, projects with SK. So there, so I formulating projects and implementing them. So from there, when I went into NGO, so my skill there, it I built on that, but added parang more groundwork experience, um, but in a different sector naman. And why did it up to include parang election? Tapos when I went into parang dugtong dugtong kasi eh, I started with work ng advocacy with dito uh, sa SLB. When I went into law school, I joined an org that has an advocacy for vulnerable sectors kasi human rights. Um, <clears throat> so yun. Tapos, when I got out of law school, human rights pa rin, human rights victim claims board. Ganon. Parang nagbe-build up lang yung skills ko na dadagdagan lang na, uy, dito, um, you can build na modules, you can train people na ganyan, uy, um, in the next level, you can um, assess claims na, you can write the solutions na, you can um, uh, make uh, more impact na sa, sa lives ng ibang tao, ganyan. Tapos next level naman is parang, uy, broader perspective naman of electrons, ganyan, um, more technical, more uh, legal in a way, na meron pa rin uh, groundwork. And mm. yung policy, mm. and the, yung, meron din konting policy writing, policy writing built on the groundwork. Na, kung titignan mo, hindi naman nag-start when I entered the institution. It started yung malayong malayong malayo pa. So it was kind of like your destiny to go that route, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> logical, right? Uh, uh, logical, right? So you, you mentioned you did work in elections, and this is like a really good segue, right? So uh, what was it like to work for Comelec? And Comelec is a very hot-button issue these days. Um. In one word, very uh, very fulfilling. The one word, yun, two words, yun. <laughs> very fulfilling. So I came in kasi sa Comelec in, ano ba ako, in Comelec? 2018, late 2018, going into the 2019 national and local election. Um, I was very young, a very young lawyer then. So for me, fulfilling siya kasi it was the perfect balance between getting legal and technical training and also exposure to policy and advocacy work. Kasi as, as a staff of a commissioner, parang ganun, um, I do legal work. And um, we also handle projects in our office. Uh, for me, I handle uh, <coughs> voting projects for indigenous people. So um, I learned a lot during my uh, short there, sobrang, sobrang dami. I, I didn't even realize na a year went by 
but I was working there because I was enjoying it so much. Wow. And and actually, I'm still learning because because of my experience there, it's it sparked this interest in electrons and democracy. So so there. So uh, let's say uh, how do I how do I phrase this question? So whenever people uh, like a layperson thinks of Comelec, there's this sort of fuzzy void. Like they understand that it's the office that deals with elections, and maybe the extent of their uh, interaction with the office is finding the regional office uh, or the city. I think it's I believe it's city office, and uh, registering to vote. Right, that's probably the extent of their experience, and they understand that this office has something to do with the way elections are done. Uh, but what exactly, what kind of power does Comelec have over prospective or incumbent government officials? So, I think first, um, Comelec is what we call an election management body. So everything related to running the election, it it it's under Comelec. And also, like you said, Comelec is still part of the uh, bureaucracy. So in terms of uh, perspective or incumbent government officials, so let's go through the process. When you're, uh, when you want to participate in an election cycle as a candidate, no? ano wala mong ginagawa? You file a COC. Uh, lately, my you file a COC, sige. You file a... Ang hirap ito. wait lang lang. What's the first thing you do? No? You file a COC. The COMELEC, as uh, the body designated to run the elections, no? siya yung tumatanggap ng COC. No? Lately, merong mga opinions on how dapat pagkatanggap pa lang ng COC alam na ng COMELEC parang ganyan. But now under the law, under the system, under the law, COMELEC acceptance of a COC is ministerial in nature. Diba? Tatanggap lang sila. They won't review it. No? So dun papasok yung uh, mga cancellation. Ano yung next? If an interested party want to have you disqualified, wants to question your qualification, they should file a petition to cancel a COC or a disqualification case. That's the only time that the COMELEC will go into your qualification. Because remember, yung COC is under oath. Everything that the, that the candidate stated there is parang presumed to be true, right? So unless there is someone, an interested party, who raises an issue in your candidacy, well, Comelec will, will not do anything about it. Then um, papasok yung power niya to decide over mga ganong classing petition. Kung i-disqualify ka ba niya or i-dismiss niya yung case, i-cancel niya ba yung COC mo or i-dismiss niya yung case. In this case, the result can be you can run or you can't run. Yeah. So, really, like, okay, and this is, of course, setting aside the geopolitical reality that we have, right? You or I, well, maybe three months ago, 
uh, we could, you or I could potentially, right, run for elected office. And it, it's just the only barrier of entry is that one sheet of paper, right? Uh, legally, right? And your name can appear in the ballot just like anyone, just like any of these famous politicians that we see online, right? I mean, it's hyper simplifying. Of course, it's an entirely different matter to be able to win the election. Uh, so now, right, we have uh, a, a proceeding uh, going on to disqualify one of the candidates, and it's very much covered in the news, right? Uh, this is, of course, the candidate Bongbong Marcos, right? So can you explain for the benefit of lay people uh, what is going on and why it is so, quote, end quote, uh, newsworthy, <laughs> let's say? Right now, so there are two petitions again, two kinds of petitions against the candidacy of Bongbong, one to cancel his COC and one to disqualify him. Qualification petition. Both seem to be based on the same set of facts, which is the non-filing of income tax his, return and his conviction. Oh, IPR. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it, it, this is me uh, trying to <laughs> use my loose recollection also. So the first one, which is the uh, uh, is based on uh, the cancellation of the COC is based on a material misrepresentation is because he said that he was not convicted of a uh, crime uh, uh, with moral turpitude. And the disqualification is the fact of the moral turpitude having been adjudged previously in a final decision by a court. Is, that's more or less uh, the the gist of the cases being brought against Bongbong Marcos. No? Uh, but now uh, there is seems to be shall we say, uh, this uh, a deadline that was imposed by the presiding commissioner. Uh, and uh, and of course, it is Commissioner Guanzon who is coming up in the news a lot, right? Uh, why is it that it is even, you know, you, you generally speaking, uh, the news only advertises the, the end result of a proceeding without much reference to who it was who decided the case. But now the personality of Guanzon has come to the forefront of the news, right? And a lot of the news centers around her and the things that she says. And, uh, you know, maybe you could explain, uh, like, the collegial nature of the Comelec and, you know, why it is that she's the one that comes out. Bakit yung pangalan niya yung lumilitaw? The Comelec is divided into two divisions. The first division composed of three and the second division composed of three commissioners. Tapos si, I think the Commissioner Guanzon is set to retire on February 2. And we all know that the petition to disqualify was raffled, raffled to her division. Eh, at the time, medyo malapit na yung deadline for retirement. So I think um, she just wanted her vote. Like what she said in on media, diba? She just wanted her vote to count. Because after her retirement, hindi na count, I think. Oh, oh, because hindi na siya commissioner. Um, what matters, kasi sa sa resolution is the date of promulgation. If the resolution was promulgated after her retirement, then. Baka 
hindi ma-attach yung, I think hindi ma-attach yung, ano niya, yung opinion niya. Maka it won't form part of the records of the case. And her vote won't be counted. Parang ganun. So, so maybe, I think naman she's very, ano, she's very upfront naman with the media. Now, this is really the reason why she, she already divulged her separate opinion. Tingin niya may mga influence, tingin niya may mga As to the fact of that, hindi natin alam, di ba? But, uh, is it reasonable for one commissioner to turn to another and say, hey, uh, I need a decision by this time, by this day, para, uh, like, as in this case, para masama yung opinion ko before the before I have to retire. Are, are little accommodations like that normal in the conduct of the proceedings in Comelec? Or is that an unreasonable request to make from one commissioner to another? I think hindi naman siya unreasonable. Paano ba? There has to be some level of respect. Hindi naman respect, eh, no? Pag-isipan ko lang rami, ah. Paano ko isa-trace? Parang you're, you're on equal quoting uh, dapat, eh, as co-commissioners, diba? Lahat yung, lahat naman kayo commissioners. And you all work together to come up with uh, resolutions that were raffled in your division. Lahat naman yan, hindi lang naman, I think, for this specific case. Lahat yan, I think, uh, pinag-uusapan because you should know the, each other's vote. Diba? Yeah. In which case, diba? So I think, parang gano'n lang naman yun. Parang wala, wala namang set rules on how to to do it. I don't think there are set rules na parang, oh, um, well, well, paano ba? Well, there is a period for resolution, yung 15 days. Um, I think naman, yung mga internal workings like that, like, uy, um, can we rush this? Because I really uh, want to get my vote in. is a reasonable uh, uh, request. Parang ano muna din yun eh, parang out of respect to your co-commissioner and out of the urgency then of the, of the case before you, if it seems so urgent to another commissioner, then why should it be so hard on another commissioner to, ano, to accommodate parang ganun? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Sige. So, without taking sides, parang yan. Parang yun lang naman siya eh. Parang... Uh-oh. And then the media, of course, is very keen to blow it up to something larger than it is. Uh, it, 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 it is kind of on the level of a workplace squabble. Yeah. But, uh, pa- yeah. Parang among, let's say, associates. Like, you'll talk amongst yourselves how you will, ano, how you will, argue how you'll write a uh, certain pleading, diba? In set internal deadlines. That's, that's not, I know. Now, uh, so, leaving aside this whole brouhaha with uh, 
the disqualification case of Bongbong Marcos because of his tax evasion cases. Uh, what is what special insight did your time in the Comelec give you with regard how elections are conducted in the Philippines? What was something that well, of course, no, you worked in an election NGO before, so you uh, you were aware of the way that elections are conducted in the Philippines, right? Uh, but what really hit home for you because of your work with the Comelec? No, the work doesn't stop. People, <laughs> people, people think, uh, uy, uh, malapit na election, Comelec is, I know, all, all hands in, and then after election, sa tahimik. But, the, hindi nila alam, like, yung election cycle, right after the end of an election, meron pang audit, meron pang protest, and then meron pang preparations for another registration period. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. <laughs> Parang yung ano lang siya. It's, it's like a cycle lang. Uh, uh, I think kasi sa consciousness sa mga tao, napapansila talaga nila yung cover eh, kapag may, kapag andyan na yung election eh, and pag nagahabol na ng registration, ganyan, going into a big election, like, this coming one, 2022, saka yung mga filing, uh, pero hindi nila alam that the work really doesn't stop. Okay. <laughs> uh, speaking of work, though, kasi you actually worked as, not naman a surrogate, but as one of the staff of a commissioner in the Comelec. So you're familiar with the kind of work that's done in that context. So, uh, you know, this is something that our professors always drilled into us when we were in law school. They would always say, uh, you know, you have to have a very high level of quality of the work you produce because, you know, who knows, you might pen an opinion for a justice and sila yung dehado kung may mali yung trabaho mo. Uh, did it require, like, a higher degree of diligence knowing that your work would be presented as the work of your principal? Oh, naman. Pero parang... Parang by default, di ba? By default, a staff of a commissioner. Parang all the work that we do should be done uh, with a high degree of diligence. Lahat naman dumadaan muna kay sa comment. Na totoo lang, di ba? Kasi ultimately, siya yung, siya yung last call, siya yung paper mo dun sa document. Yan. Mm. So, Comlec as an institution, like uh, it has its challenges, no? Uh, but what are the, what are some of the institutional problems or, or just the large obstacles that Comlec faces in affecting its mandate? You know, of having free and fair elections. Hmm. Limited sa by laws already in by current laws in place. Um, Please elaborate. When when I say this, I think about uh, social media regulation and uh, campaign finance. Parang there's a lot of buzz surrounding this in the last these topics, no, in in the last years. Uh, 
pero kung titignan mo kasi, Comelec uh, might look like it's 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 an independent institution, diba? And it might look like it's uh, it has broad um, power, no? But dapat lagi kinatandaan na the powers it exercises are limited only to its mandate and by the laws it operates within parang ganun parang hindi kasi siya pwedeng gumalaw without uh, a basis in law um, so uh, let me try to like crystallize this issue by asking a question <laughs> So, uh, what is something that, in your opinion, should be prohibited or and or regulated by Comelec, but is not? In in my opinion. Yeah, in your opinion, lang. Should be regulated by Comelec, but is not. Premature campaigning is the easy one. Pero. <laughs> <laughs> Pero ano eh? Wala na yan. Wala na. Mahirap na. Unless bubalik ka dun sa dating ano, definition, di ba? Oh. Um, ko social media eh. Social media regulation. Think only because I think social media plays a large part in influencing elections in our country. Lalo na tayo. Yeah. It, it's one of those things that uh, social media, because of how pervasive it is in our society, like, kahit TikTok, I mean, di ba, yung mga nakikita ng mga videos about certain candidates, talaga outright misrepresentation of the facts. And then, it's still, oh, it's like 10 million hits. What the hell? <laughs> mm-hmm. Ayun. I think yun. We have yet to see how social media can be regulated by Comelec. Kasi nga walang, ano, walang, walang, we have no law for it, especially in relation to election. Mm. Yeah, you know, that's the thing though. Like, we're, like, especially since social media companies are US-based, no? Uh, so you know we're kind of at the mercy of a U.S. regulator. Like we're we're really dependent on them to get their shit together. For us to have like a politically conducive social media landscape, uh, you know, and you see that now. Like so, say I have some business pages on Facebook, and I cannot buy uh, Facebook ads for political uh, candidates, right? I cannot buy for political uh, causes. Right, because that was something that was pinagbawal sa states. Eh, Kinary over lang nila yung batas dito, kasi gusto nila uniform lang yung uniform yung user interface ni Facebook, kasi mas mura yung uh, operating cost ni Facebook pag ganon. So, uh, but, but I that think to be fair, she, uh, to be fair, naman si Gomelek naman. I think it's it's making headway naman in that department, kasi para may partnership naman. I've been hearing about partnerships with uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, parang ganun. Um, for the upcoming elections, at least, no, parang may, may some sort of partnership between them. Hindi lang natin siguro alam yung the details of it. But I think it, it's going in that direction. Um, classified din ata yung social media companies as contractors under campaign finance rules. 
I think they they classified them under that. So medyo parang they, they tried to cover it, pero I think I still think we need ano. Ako we need um stronger no para dyan. Mm-hmm. But I have a hard time because uh, for seeing Comelec try to help track down these troll farms that create something that in legal parlance is called uh, inauthentic online behavior, right? Uh, which is probably subject of a few JD student theses right now. <laughs> uh, so uh, we, we've talked about the Comelec. Uh, and we we're, we haven't talked about your uh, latest stint, and uh, you said in our little pre-interview chat that this is the one that's uh, newest to you. Uh, what's it like working for the Commission on Human Rights? <laughs> um, because of the pandemic, it's been challenging, I think. No, um, like like right now, I work for an office monitoring um, places of detention, so jails. Um, police custodial facilities and the like. Um, so it's a, it's more challenging. I I was employed because with the Commission on Human Rights. Next part of the pandemic, so I never really got to do groundwork. Um, uh, I was majority of the time I was, I was uh, work from home. Um, scouring documents, reviewing, and then um, writing situationers, you know. But I think it would be different if it weren't for the pandemic. Mm. Overall. So, hello? Yeah. Okay. So, if I can ask though, like, uh, just, just from your perspective, I asked the same question to Joanne in like a previous interview. It was, uh, what exactly are human rights? If if you could explain it in the simplest way possible. Um, Padaba. Human rights are I'm sorry, I'm gonna revert back to the human rights are rights uh, inherent to all of us. Uh, by virtue of us uh, being human beings, and as human beings, it is recognized that we have dignity. Tapos kailangan pang alagaan dignity. Lahat tayo meron, regardless of sex, nationality, religion, language, race, and all that. It's inherent, it's interdependent, it's inalienable, because by virtue of being a human being and having dignity, you know, there are times. Okay, but uh, like, so it's something that's a status or uh, something inherent to you. Okay, I understand that. Uh, but, you know, this, uh, this is me playing devil's advocate now, right, you know. <laughs> What does it matter if uh, drug dealer is shot dead? You know, what does it matter if uh, <laughs> what does it matter if a uh, you know someone who we know is a domestic abuser is taken to a police station for questioning and then dies under mysterious circumstances, right? Uh, 
why why should we care right what what wait what these are bad people <laughs> um ano ba sa akin simple lang eh, because it can also happen to you you know in the same way na uh, that person whether he was guilty or not uh, in the same way na he was not granted due process his rights <coughs> His rights were violated um, indiscriminately, arbitrarily. You know, um, that can also happen to you under the wrong set of circumstances. Diba? Sa akin, ganun lang, ganun lang siya eh. Parang, hindi kasi pwedeng judge and executioner at the same time. Diba? There, we have uh, due process, we have these rights in place because pwede mo abuse eh. If it can happen to that guy, it can happen to you. Yeah. Of course, I don't really believe those questions, no? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, so now, uh, human rights, uh, well, at least, I think it's getting better because a certain president has decided to make less co- less comments about the state of human rights enforcement. <laughs> Uh, but what do you think it means for our society, right? That human rights are politicized. Like, what does it say about us? Now we still lack understanding of what it is, how uh, it being understood doesn't protect yung mga tingin natin criminals or mga wrongdoers of society or ano ganyan na ito it protects all of us um sa akin ang dating sa akin is it's it's politicized it's highly politicized and weaponized because the people don't have enough understanding para if only we, we know how it works, how we can, how it, it's actually a guard against uh, the government flexing all its powers to use against us instead of for us and protect us. So, I think you knew. It's a, it's a lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think of the fact that uh, you know the, the 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 Commission on Human Rights is essentially an embattled office this past six years, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe not in its day-to-day operations, but as a political concept, as an assertion that a, an office is required in the Philippines to be able to safeguard human rights, that to that extent it has been attacked, right? Because uh, our president. Uh, you know, chose to uh, make uh, the late uh, Chito Gascon. Uh, Gas- Sorry, is it Gascon or Gaston? Gascon. Si. Gascon. Si, si. Yeah. Uh, one of his targets for his tirades, right? And uh, what does it say about our legal system, you know, that the president can make attacks like that, like threaten to reduce its budget to nothing, right? Uh, what effect does that have on the state of the respect of human rights in the Philippines? 
I think that it distort yung view ng, ng public. Um, people forget na the CHR is part of the government. Your taxes also pay for, for the Commission on Human Rights do its job. And what is its job? It's to ensure that human rights are protected, respected, promoted, um, and to check on the state. Um, abuses, ganyan, to, parang ganun, you can't have uh, the government, ano ba, how may face to? Um, parang ano eh, medyo ironic eh, di ba? Parang, ang hirap eh, phrase Rami. Go lang, go lang, go lang, go lang, it's fine. Ang hirap eh, kasi parang you're going against yourself. Because as a state, you have an obligation to you have the same obligation under the same constitution to guarantee the promotion and protection and the full exercise of human rights of all your citizens. And the CHR is there, it's a government agency to make sure make sure that you you do that. You state you do your state obligation and you don't resort they don't use your powers and your your because as a state it has machinery to arbitrarily use it against people. The CHR is there to serve as a check and balance. It actually should work with government as part of the government. So I think yung nakakalimutan kasi uh, yung yung attacks makes it seem like kalaban uh, instead of kakampi. Kasi we're all part of one government, one system. So why are we fighting? Diba? How, do I, how do I put this? Ba? Like, I think like uh, one of the things that I always like to articulate is because, uh, like human rights as a concept is is very, uh, like hundred percent. It's 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 a wonderful concept and it should be protected. Yeah. But I, I think I say like, like Filipinos, what we generally have a problem with is when we see that you know there is this state that has all this incredible power and ability to be able to grant to us all these uh, opportunities and rights and guarantees. Uh, Human rights feels like uh, a, a, a low bar that we shouldn't concern ourselves with. People are more concerned with what they might be able to get with the government, and so we relegate human rights to this thing that ah, you know, that's nice. But uh, where is the ayuda? Where is the uh, <laughs> where is the? These are the things I care. You know, the things that matter to me in the day to day, right? No. And because, huh? Because oh. precisely because human rights is only for those one in a thousand scenarios and the policeman's pointing a gun at my head, uh, <laughs> right? It doesn't seem as apparent as to how important it is, right? <laughs> oh. 
hindi kasi, I think, hindi kasi na ibababa yung concept. Eh. Like yan, ayuda, di ba? Ayuda is, uh, is a what? Government support. Um, in, in, parang, parang ganun mo siya ipaphrase eh. Kung namimigay ka ng ayuda sa, sa citizens mo to ensure na despite the pandemic, um, buhay sila. Which is um, upholding what? Right to life. Parang ganun, di ba? Hindi kasi uh, siya na-phrase na, na ganun eh. Yung services aren't connected to, hindi siya kinoconnect sa certain human rights. But if you think about it, that's it. Di ba? State obligation to uphold the right to life and the dignity of the citizens. What's that translated sa baba? That's ayuda, that's social services. Di ba? Uh, so now I'm gonna ask like a very thematic question. So as you yourself kind of admitted, the positions and the general trajectory of your life uh, were a result of the service that you'd previously rendered, and you just carried that forward. So what do you think caused you to go in this tra- in this trajectory to take this direction in in, in the name of service uh, of your fellow Filipino? My guess is it's church, no? Pero I could be wrong. <laughs> um, mix kasi siya ng ano eh, ng... Uh, mix siya ng... Yun nga, yung sinabi ko, faith and a little bit of faith. It all started with this... I always believed in uh, faith that does justice faith that um, translates into something concrete. So, I think dun rooted yung inclination ko towards service. Okay. I started in church. So, and when I look back, I still think the core of this calling for service is because I want my, my faith, my belief in the greater good to be translated into something that I can see, I can feel, I can um, give and relate. Tapos yung and faith because um, whenever I decide in every stage of my career, like example, after um, taking the bar, um, I really planned on applying to mga law firms. Because that's the natural trajectory for someone <laughs> who's just out of law school. No? Um, law firm experience, una, and figure out what you want the, your, your career, what your legal career will be. Ganyan. But as I was about to um, send out my applications to uh, law firms. Actually, naka-send out ng ata ko, mga one, one or two. Um, tinawagan ako, out of the blue, by a co-intern sa HRC, asking me if I'm interested to join the claims board. And, ayun, 
the, the rest is um, history na. So parang ganun, parang there are certain, parang may turning points na I would um, decide, I would parang, hindi naman decide, I would choose to take a path pero parang tatanggalin ako doon. <laughs> Someone or something will come along to say na, uy, um, di ba ito yung path mo? So, parang ganun. So, uh, so, how do I put this, ba? Right, like uh, you, you have taken this path which is centered around service, right? And specifically, you've centered on the ability of the government to conform to its human rights obligations, right? That's the theme I'm sensing. What makes it hard to stay on the path that you're on? Um. What makes it hard? Bong bong mark on the top of the polls. Means <laughs> there are certain moments or there are certain events that just make you lose faith in the people you want to serve. Parang ganyan, di ba? <laughs> oh no, why you do that? <laughs> <laughs> parang ganon pero lagi naman na overcome kasi I always believe in like now even as uh, nasa ganito yung surveys ganyan I always believe na no, malayo pa yung elections I believe in ano, the goodness of the Filipino people <laughs> uh, to their senses sana uh, if, if I can ask, so you, you're no longer connected with the Comlex, so this this, this question is not as, you know, who, who, if, if the election were tomorrow, who would you vote for? You can say your, you can state your preference. Bawa lang mag campaign, di ba? Bawa lang mag campaign. I can state my preference. So who, who do you prefer? <laughs> Hindi naman ito campaigning, di ba? So, I, I, Lenny, Lenny. Lenny Rubredo. Lenny Rubredo. Okay. Uh, uh, so, it's so funny because I was, I was at a, uh, I, I, I assist with that campaign a little bit here in Cebu. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to help deploy their voters' educations, uh, <laughs> workshops here. God damn it, I hope she wins. <laughs> I know, uh, scratch na lang to, pero sobrang I hope so too. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, anyway, uh, in, in like, we will, we'll, uh, this is usually the question that I cap the podcast with, right? Uh, so, uh, what do you see yourself doing in five years, right? On this path that you're on? What, what is it five years out? Um, hopefully, still with government. Something related to um, human rights or elections. Um, sana, oh, hopefully still in government and making more impact on uh, the people of the Philippines, especially yung uh, vulnerable, nasa vulnerable 
sex calls. Um, so, hindi masyad, hindi ako masyado siguro lilihes dun sa path. I, I still see myself along that path, but we'll never know. <laughs> I'm very open eh. I always say naman, I always leave space for grace. Whatever something, uh, a better opportunity for service will come along. Whatever, pero so, sana, sana along those lines. Mm. Walang, hindi ako masyado concrete eh. I don't look masyado that far eh. Yeah. So, medyo ba- baka mahirap na pakinggan yung episode na to in five years if uh, like you you if really I, you really jumped off the ship you went you became like heartless corporate counsel for some soulless and large corporation. <laughs> you know, Francis, if you do, um, you can always go back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, with that. Uh, thank you for coming on my uh, podcast, Francis. Uh, I'm going to cap the podcast here. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> okay, wait. Stop recording. <laughs>